Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the letter of Paul to the Galatians. In this session, we're going to talk about uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, which is Paul's introduction and greeting and his opening words to the Christians there in Galatia. The standard Greco-Roman way of beginning a letter was to uh, refer to the sender, then the recipient, and then a greeting. And we have the same thing in Paul's letters in general, and in Galatians in particular, that's exactly what we have. So let's start with the sender. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me. So that's the sender of this letter to Galatia. And the primary sender really is Paul. He includes all the brethren who are with him, which would be his ministry team, which is something that's really important to be aware of, that if you're not familiar and you uh, haven't read the book of Acts or haven't noticed when you've read the book of Acts, that Paul regularly traveled with people. Not all of them are always mentioned in Acts, but a good number of them are. So you have people like Silas, and you have people like Timothy, and Aristarchus, and others that are mentioned in the book of Acts as traveling companions of Paul. And Paul would send those people to various places to help establish churches there to carry on his work when he was forced to leave town or whatever. And So Paul always traveled with the team. He wasn't a lone ranger missionary. He wasn't a lone ranger minister. He believed in team ministry and it was part of his way of raising up other ministers and other leaders as well. So it's Paul and all the brethren who are with me that are the centers of this letter, though primarily the message comes from Paul himself. He's just including his team along with him. Notice what Paul says about himself as the sender. This is really important because of some of the things in the background to Galatians that we talked about in our last session. But Paul describes himself as Paul, an apostle. And the word apostle means one sent uh, one commissioned by some authority, by a governor, by a king, by a leader, or by a group of people representing a particular body of people, their emissary, their ambassador. So that's the idea of apostle. It's one sort of commissioned and sent to represent another. Um, and Paul wants to be clear who who sent him and who he represents. And so he says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, notice the plural, from men, like a body, he doesn't represent a church, he doesn't re represent a group of people, he doesn't represent, in the case of Galatians in particular, say the apostles in Jerusalem or any leadership in Jerusalem. So he's not from men, nor through the agency of man, and he's not sent as a kind of a, an ambassador just on behalf of humans, but he's an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So his apostleship comes through Jesus. Jesus is the one who commissioned him. Jesus is the one who he represents. And if you want to know more about that, you can read the story of how Paul became an apostle in Acts chapter 9. It's his a conversion account from being a, a, a kind of Pharisaic Jew who was opposed to Christians to becoming a Christian, but not just a Christian. Acts chapter 9 also tells how Jesus specifically says, I'm going to send you far away uh, to the Gentiles. And so his commission, as well as his conversion, is recorded in Acts 9. If you want to know more about how Paul became an apostle, you can do so by reading Acts chapter 9. So Paul's an apostle. 
He's an apostle specifically of Jesus, the Messiah. The word Christ means Messiah, hence king. So he is an apostle and ambassador of King Jesus who was commissioned by him to represent him. Uh, That's the sender. So Paul, an apostle, and all the brethren with him, the senders, who are the recipients? Well, notice verse 2, to all the churches of Galatia. Notice the plural, churches. We talked about this in our last session when we gave the backstory to Galatians, that Galatians is written not to one church, but to a group of churches in the south center of what is modern-day Turkey, uh, that um, Paul had started those churches on his first missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 13 and 14. So Paul here is addressing a group of churches. And then we get the greetings. Notice uh, verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is one of Paul's standard greetings. And um, Paul has really adapted the standard Greek and the standard Jewish greeting. The standard Greek greeting at this point in a letter would be just greetings, and the word for greetings was chirine. Well, chirine sounds a little bit like charis, and charis is the word for grace, and grace is central to our understanding of God and our understanding of who we are as his people. And so Paul took chirine and replaced it with charis, grace. And so grace to you and peace. And the standard Jewish greeting was shalom, which means peace. And so grace to you and peace. And the source of this grace and peace is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so really his greeting has become almost a a prayer wish for God to pour out his his grace and his peace, his favor and his shalom, his wholeness upon his people. And so grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, normally at this point in the letter, Paul's ready to jump into what comes next. But here in Galatians, uh, really setting up the theme of the letter, in verse 4, after he says the greetings, Paul has a little statement that's really a central summary of the gospel for the sake of the Galatians to, to set up where he's going to go in the letter. And this is really important. And so when he says that this grace and peace comes to us from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he amplifies Jesus by describing what Jesus did. And so listen to verse 4. It says this, from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, notice that he wasn't forced into it, it was voluntary, he gave, right? Jesus gave himself for our sins. And so a summary, basic summary of this gospel idea that Jesus gave himself on behalf of, that's the sense of the word for, on behalf of our sins, in our place, for our sins, to this end, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. And so he has this summary, really, of the gospel message that Jesus gave himself for our sins, and he did so in order that he might deliver us out of this present evil age. Really important phrase, this present evil age. Um, It has the idea of uh, kind of this overlap that um, the the age to come, the life of heaven and the age to come has broken into the here and now in the person of Jesus and through the work of the Spirit. And so by virtue of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and the coming of the Spirit, 
the age to come has already broken into the present evil age. And so now in this current world situation, we live during the overlap of the times. Um, the present evil age and the age to come now currently overlap. And if you're in Christ, you have been delivered from the present evil age and you have been transferred into the life of the age to come. The realm where Jesus King and the Spirit is at work, that's, that's the age that you're a part of in Christ. And so Jesus' death doesn't just free us from the penalty of sin. It frees us even from the power of sin by delivering us out of this present evil age, out from under its authority, its power, its dominion, its control, and into, though not specified here, but it will show up later in the letter, and into the life of the age to come. And so Paul summarizes this this basic core idea of the gospel because it's critical to some of the major things he wants to talk about in Galatians, how they are still stuck in kind of minimizing the work of Jesus and trying to find another way to get out from underneath the present evil age. And so that's Paul's introduction to the letter to the Galatians. And normally at this point in Paul's letter, you would expect Paul to go into a thanksgiving and a prayer for the audience. I thank my God every time I remember you, uh, making mention of you in my prayers, dot, 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 right? He says that sort of thing in virtually all his letters. In fact, he says it in every single one of his letters, except Galatians. And so we would expect that at this point in the letter, but it's not here in Galatians. And the reason it's not here is because Paul is upset. He is, he is incensed about what's going on in Galatia. He's incensed uh, on how quickly the Galatians are uh, changing their belief system and listening to a different gospel. And so no thanksgiving, no prayer, no well wish other than the greeting. And Paul immediately jumps into the major issue in the letter, his major concern, and the, the thing that really has his hackles up as he writes this letter. So Paul jumps right in and listen to what he says in verse 6. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Uh, this is roughly equivalent in our day and age, at least in American culture. We've been taught that the way you write a letter is, dear so-and-so, and then you write your letter and then you sign off with, right? Well, this would be roughly equivalent to saying like, my name's John, so dear John, I'm shocked that, dear John, I can't believe that, dear John, I, I'm stunned that. It has that sense, that force of just immediately, everyone would be expecting a thanksgiving. Everyone would be expecting a well wish. In standard Greek letters, that's what happened at this point in the letter. But in letters of rebuke, no well wish, no thanksgiving, we immediately jumped into phrases like this, I'm amazed that... And what Paul has Paul shocked and amazed is that you are so quickly deserting him. Notice that the, the Judaizers are coming into the churches of Galatia and telling them, look, if you actually want to be uh, really close to God, you want to have a full-on relationship with God, you really want to be a part of the full people of God, you need to add the Torah and Judaism to your walk with Jesus, to your faith in Jesus. And we talked about that background in the 
a last recording when we set up the backstory to this. So they're coming in and saying those kinds of things, and Paul's saying, not true. Actually, you're deserting God. If you're going to uh, listen to the message of those who are telling you you need to add Torah to it, it's not like you're going to get closer to God. You're actually turning your back on God and walking away. That's the sense of deserting. So you're deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ, meaning you're deserting God himself who called you by the grace of Christ for a different God gospel, which is not really another, only there are some who are disturbing you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so Paul says, we have a gospel problem here. This isn't just a preference problem. This isn't just a culture problem. This isn't just a a minor misunderstanding. This is a central to the faith issue because it's a gospel problem. And that's why Paul is so shocked. And that's why Paul is so passionate in this letter and writes such passionate things in this letter because this is a gospel issue. Really important here to make sure we hear a little technical note in verses 6 and 7 when he says you're deserting him for a different gospel, which really is not another. The word different and the word another are uh kind of synonyms in the Greek language, but they're synonyms that oftentimes have a little nuance of difference. So the word different is the word heteros, which basically means another of a different kind. And the word another in this translation in verse 7 is alos, and it means another of the same kind. Um, And so heteros Hence the idea of like heterosexual, another of a different kind, male, female, right? And alas, another of the same kind. So he says, you're deserting him for a heteros gospel, which is really not alas. That's the way that phrase works. And it's a really important little play on words. What he's saying is, you're actually deserting him for what they may be telling you is the full gospel, what they may be telling you is the true gospel, but really it's a heteros gospel. It's a gospel of a totally different kind, and it's not the same thing at all. It's not the same sort of gospel you heard. It's not the same sort of gospel I preach or the apostles have preached. It's a different sort of thing altogether. And so you are deserting him for a heteros gospel, which isn't all us, which isn't the same thing at all. Only there are some who are disturbing you, some who have come in among you, and they're stirring up trouble for you, and they want to twist and distort the gospel of Christ. Then Paul writes these words in verses 8 through 10 that are like real passionate words of kind of challenge and rebuke. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, now even though we, meaning we, Paul and his team, Uh, or an angel from heaven. It doesn't matter if it's me, Paul says, if it's someone from my team, if it's an angel from heaven, even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And then he says it again in verse 9. As we've said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to which you have received, let him be accursed. And so Paul restates this because he wants to make sure they get the point. Like, if you are receiving another kind of gospel, a different kind of gospel, whoever is telling you that, whoever is preaching you that, they are not noble, they are not good. Paul says, let him be accursed. He says that twice, verse 8 and verse 9. Let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. What does let him be accursed mean? Well, the phrase means, let him be under the judicial wrath of God. Let him be uh, sentenced to the wrath of God. Let him be 
uh, damned. Let him, in, in essence, be sentenced to God's just repayment for this distortion of the gospel. That's the idea. Very strong language and a very strong rebuke. So, if anyone should come to you preaching something other than what you received initially, something different than the gospel you heard the first time, that person is under the very judicial wrath of God, judged by God, condemned by God. That's the point, and it's very, very strong language and a strong rebuke. With that, in verse 10, Paul kind of gives this off-the-cuff, almost backhanded jab at what is presumably an accusation of the Judaizers who have come into the Galatian churches and are stirring up trouble for the church and for Paul. And so let me read what he says, and then we'll have to read between the lines to understand why Paul says what he says here in verse 10. He says this, after he says, let him be accursed a second time, he writes, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Uh, Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. Now, where does that comment come from? Well, if we're listening to one side of the conversation, we have to infer what's going on on the other side of the conversation. And the best inference is to presume that one of the accusations the Judaizers are leveling against Paul is that he's a man pleaser, meaning that... uh, Probably that Paul, you know, to one group of people will say one thing, to another group of people he'll say something else, that he adjusts his message based on who he's talking to, and that, you know, you can't totally trust him because he just wants to make people happy and please people and and all of that. That seems to be the accusation that Paul is sort of, you know, wading into with this sort of off-the-cuff backhanded remark in verse 10. Why would the Judaizers have any ammunition for saying that sort of thing, for making that accusation? Well, remember, the churches of Galatia are the churches that Paul started on his first missionary journey. Uh, As he traveled back through there on his second missionary journey, he visited those churches, checked in with those churches, and he picked up a new co-worker, a man by the name of Timothy, who became a traveling companion of Paul. You've heard the name, right? Timothy. Uh, Well, Paul picks him up in one of these cities in Galatia. And what does Paul do for Timothy? Paul circumcises Timothy uh, to prepare him to go on his missionary trip. Why did Paul do that? Well, Paul did that, Acts makes clear. You can read about this in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul did this specifically because Timothy was biracial. Timothy had a Greek father and a Jewish mother, and as a result, he wasn't really accepted by either community. He wasn't truly uh, accepted by the Jewish community. He wasn't truly respected by the Gentile community. He was sort of a, uh, a man without a place to stand, and because Paul's preaching ministry so often began in the synagogue, Um, it would be more advantageous for Paul's ministry and for Timothy's ministry with him if Timothy had credibility with the Jewish people. And so Paul circumcised him, not as a requirement for faith and faithfulness, not as a requirement for being saved or being part of the people of God. Paul circumcised him as an expedient for the sake of ongoing ministry so that there would be no offense to the gospel that came through Timothy. Right? But... The Judaizers can very easily look at that and say, look at this. Sometimes Paul circumcises people. Sometimes he doesn't. Paul, he speaks out of both sides of his mouth, and it makes no sense. And my suspicion is that's where this kind of accusation is, it comes from, and it's 
Timothy as an example, uh, and the way Paul you know, speaks to Jews and the way he speaks to Gentiles, that they're using as leverage to say, Paul's a man pleaser, he speaks out of both sides of his mouth, and, and Paul here in verse 10, after basically saying, look, if anyone preaches a di different gospel to you, let him be under the wrath of God, Paul just pops off with sort of a, a quick little jab in the direction of that accusation to say, listen, does Saying I want people to be under God's wrath, does that sound like somebody who's trying to curry the favor of people and just doesn't want to make anybody upset? Does that sound like the language of somebody who's just trying to be a people pleaser? No way. And so Paul says, if I were trying to please people, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Jesus. And the word bondservant is that idea of slave, right? I wouldn't be a slave of Jesus. I wouldn't be indebted to Jesus, serving Jesus, if I was trying to please people. And Paul, indeed, is trying to please Jesus and not others. In fact, we'll get to hear a little detail at the end of this letter to the Galatians in chapter 6, where Paul says, I bear on my body the brand marks of my servitude to Jesus. In other words, let me take my shirt off, let me take my robe off, and you can see the scars I have, physical scars, because of my faith and faithfulness in Jesus and my service to him. I've been whipped, I've been beaten with rods, I've been pummeled with stones, right? And I have, I have scars all over my body because I'm a loyal servant of Jesus. And so Paul insists, I'm not a man pleaser, I'm a servant of Jesus, and my language isn't uh, intended to curry people's favor. So verse 10 is this off-the-cuff little comment, just to poke a jab at this accusation that the Judaizers are making about Paul. All right, now, before we leave this section, let's just offer a little bit of reflection by way of implications for us today. Um, first, I would say, particularly from, from verses 1 through 5 and the introduction and greeting there, uh, just take a second and meditate on just the idea that God's Son, Jesus, the Messiah, gave himself for our sins to rescue us, to deliver us out from under the dominion of this present evil world. Um, we're not... We're not under the control of, the authority of the fallen forces of this world. We have a new king, and he has a new way of life, and we have new resources and new power to live a different kind of life, and all of that will be explained to us through this letter. But take a second to just meditate on that, that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us out of the present evil world. I think that's an important place for us just to kind of reflect on what Paul says here. The second little uh, reflection that I would offer is out of verses 6 through 10. Paul is emphatic that uh, the gospel is the central issue in Galatians. And the reason Paul is so passionate and speaks with such strong language in Galatians is because he has to stand up for the purity and the truth of the gospel. What about us? What about the church today? Do we know what the gospel really is? And do we know what's a preference issue and what's a gospel issue? Do we know when the, the truth of the gospel is being distorted and attacked? And are we willing to stand and say, no, that, that is a perversion of the gospel and, and we'll have none of that? And do we know when it's like, this is a minor preference issue and people can go their own way with that? We need to really have clarity on what does the gospel teach what is the gospel and what does the gospel require. And one of the things that will become clear as we go through this letter to the Galatians is the gospel is far more comprehensive, far more holistic than sometimes we've made the gospel out to be. And let me just note real quickly what I mean by that, that we have 
tended to reduce the gospel to simply a plan of salvation by which you get your ticket to heaven and your sins forgiven. And while that's part of the gospel, it's not the whole gospel. The gospel is bigger than that, greater than that, more powerful than that. And we need to make sure we listen to uh, all the implications of the gospel and what all the gospel does and achieves and means as we go through this letter to the Galatians so that we can have greater clarity on what the gospel is and what it means to be a gospel person and a gospel-centered church so that, like Paul, we can stand on the truth of the gospel.